0: Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark.
1: In a galaxy far, far away.
0: <laughs> and
1: stop before we get sued.:
0: <laughs> Right. <laughs> We're talking about space opera today.:
1: We're talking about space opera, but not like Star Wars space opera. Opera, space opera.: I do
0: love I do love that you just referred to Star Wars as a space opera.
1: It is a space opera
0: oh oh
1: it is known as a space opera is it yes what hold on
0: I, how did i miss that star wars the space opera
2: i mean it's a very large work and that's true it has leitmotifs
1: so space, it does have leitmotifs space opera i will tell you is a subgenre of science fiction that emphasizes space warfare, melodramatic adventure, interplanetary battles, chivalric romance, and risk-taking, and it's set mainly in outer space. And I mean, if that's not Star Wars, then I don't know what is.
0: Wow. Okay, definitely a space opera. Do you think that the opera that we're talking about today that has to do with space would also fall under that category? or it's just an opera about space.
1: It's just an opera about space. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I also feel like at the time they didn't even really know what space was. So Right. This is they had like, like 17 a word for the moon. Yeah,
1: this is like 1777.
0: But... Nice. Yeah, I was just going to say if you were going to guess out of all of like opera and classical music history, who the composer that would be? That would compose an opera about space. I don't think you would guess the composer that we're actually going to be talking about.
1: Who would you guess?
0: I would guess like Nico Mooley or like Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Kevin Putz.
2: I would guess Scriabin. Oh. Oh. He was he was pretty crazy. He would have I mean he wrote something somewhat similar. Not not about space, but he had like some wild Wild ideas. Right, but he was more into
1: like the occult and I guess maybe astrology yeah. and that kind of stuff. He,
2: he kind, kind of felt of. like he could like, yeah, like bring on a new world or another world through his music. Right, just he just like that, he'd be interested in space.
1: Yeah, he wrote that piece that it had to be performed at a specific place mm-hmm. on a specific day with certain people and it heralded the end of days and it would start. Ooh, uh, yeah. It would start like the new world Mm -hmm. didn't happen creepy did did it ever get performed that way just because i feel like it was this crazy huge piece and the idea of trekking like basically up the side of a mountain with all this stuff
2: i don't think it was performed ever as he envisioned because i'm pretty sure there was like some kind of like spherical object that you needed as well i could be totally misremembering this but
0: like a
1: giant dome that sounds right Some kind of orb or something? Orb,
2: like on a mountaintop, which I don't know how you would have gotten it Even today, I don't know how you get an orb of some kind on a mountaintop, but yeah.
0: Well, Elspeth, who do you think would compose an opera about space, other than the composer we'll be talking about?
1: Hmm. If I had to pick not a contemporary composer, I kind of want to say... I don't know. Like maybe Richard Strauss?
0: Mm. Because he did his own planet thing. Didn't he do a planet thing?
1: Well, his work
2: was used later as a planet thing.
0: Oh, right, right, right.
2: Right. For 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking of, of Thus Baked Zarathustra.
0: Mm
1: hmm. Just like not not what that is about, but I feel like... Boom,
0: boom, 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 (laughs) boom, boom. What is it about? We've talked about this before. What is it about?
1: It's based on a
2: Nietzsche poem or writing. (laughs) Something
0: like that, yeah. Cool, cool. Okay, well, none of these answers are correct because there actually is a composer who composed an opera about space. The first one. And it's not somebody you would expect. Okay, sure, the first one. And it was...
1: Franz Josef Haydn! Yes, it was.
0: 1777. Man. I just can't even put myself in that place because, like, I've only lived in a world where, like, people have been to space and, more specifically, as it pertains to this opera, have, like, been to the moon. So I can't imagine. It must have felt so out there to see this opera in the 18th century.
1: Well, as you will find out, they don't actually go to the moon.
0: Damn it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's sort of they pretend to go to the moon.
0: Oh, man.
2: I mean, how would they even imagine going to the moon at that time? Like they don't e- they don't even have like combustion engines yet, right? <laughs> like, are you going to ride That's your true. horse to the moon? Exactly. I guess they
0: literally felt like it was impossible.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Right. Well, then enlighten me. So we talked about Haydn last episode. Mm-hmm. So if you want some, some more information about Franz Joseph Haydn, you got to go back to that episode. But with all of that in mind, so we've got Haydn, super successful dude. How does he compose this opera about space slash not space
2: we we did mention this on the last episode but just to be clear like Haydn wrote quite a few operas that we just never ever see performed today because he was basically like eclipsed in popularity by other composers of opera at the time like Mozart and Salieri and Chimarosa and Porpora and some of these other like composers that were much more popular in that time period so mm-hmm. this is not the only opera he wrote, but it was certainly,
1: uh, certainly a good one. It's the only one that I've ever heard of, which is why we're talking about it. Um,
2: <laughs> uh. and I
1: think that part of it had to do with, you know, Mozart had De Ponte um, and Haydn was not really picking operas that had really strong librettos. And like, we'll get into the libretto for this has been set a couple times to music. Um, and the librettist
2: is actually not like an unknown person because it was Goldoni who set the Carlo Goldoni, I think, Carlos Carlo Goldoni, and he wrote many other libretti, but they were very much in like a, a particular style that like Mozart starts to break that style and the the whole style of opera starts to change from that point onward. Hmm. So in a lot of ways this is based on like a very specific model of libretto that was popular at a very specific time right
1: right so they're all like stock commedia dell'arte characters they all remind me a lot mm. of um the characters in mozart's la finta Mm. i love that opera yeah but they basically Classic. all have the same counterparts mm. in that opera
2: Right, and it's like purely comic characters, right? There's no mixture of serious characters in this work. Right. Because it's it's labeled a drama giacoso, right? At the time and at the time there was like a very strict difference between that and if your opera was sort of subtitled, I guess you could say, um, a drama, what's the other? the other one's escaping me right drama per musica is where you can have a mixture of both comic and serious characters in an opera Hmm. but if something was labeled drama giacoso it was like you can only have comic characters or you are likely to only find comic characters
0: wow how interesting that they labeled it Mm -hmm. and what's the name of this opera
1: this opera is called Il Mondo della Luna, which means the world of the moon. Ooh. It's a good title. It's a very good title.
0: Right. So then it's about aliens.
1: Um, kind of. <laughs> oh.
0: How did I you come not... across this opera, Elspeth?
1: Have um, you seen it? I have not seen it, but I think I read about how um many years ago when they were still in existence, Gotham Chamber Opera did this in the Hayden Planetarium. That's so cool. cool. Mm -hmm.
0: That's the planetarium at the Natural History Museum, correct?
1: That is the planetarium at the Natural History Museum, yeah. Nice. How appropriate. It's a wonderful thing.
2: So what happens in this opera? I know next to nothing about this opera, um, so I'm excited to learn... The plot and what happens.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's get started. So there is this sort of pseudo-scientist astronomer um, named Eclectico. Nice name. I like it. So it opens up and we're in his observatory tower. With is his-, his name
0: literally Eclectic?
1: Um, Mr. Eclectic? Maybe. I don't actually know what that translates to. Ecclittico. Okay, doesn't matter. I'm sorry. Too many interruptions. No, it's fine. So we're Ecclittico? in his observatory. Eccletico. E C C L I T I C O.
0: Cool. <laughs> and we're in his <laughs> observatory. And we're in
1: his observatory. And we're with all his students, who were obviously men, because this is that time period. Um, mm-hmm. And they sing a little choral number, which is a hymn to the moon. Lovely, wonderful. Nice. And then Ecclético starts talking, and he's like, you know what? I'm so smart, and I'm so awesome that I can dupe anybody. Um, and by anybody... He
2: can dupe? Like D U P E. D U P E. you said, <laughs> like
0: I can fool. do
2: anybody, and I was like, whoa.
0: <laughs> wow, where is your head at, Naomi?
1: It's very progressive, this opera um right no he says i can he's fool- the don
0: giovanni of space exploration of space
1: exploration it's true <laughs> he's like i can fool anybody um okay i can fool anybody including this rich old guy who lives in this town whose name is Buonafede. and speak of the devil Buonafede walks in
0: perfect timing
1: and Buonafede. I guess is really stupid because he walks in and he's like, what's the moon? I don't know what that is, even though it like (laughs) says in the score that the scenery is like the full moon rises in the background. (laughs) Yes. So Ecletico explains to him that if he looks inside his extremely powerful telescope, he'll be able to see to the moon. And in fact, he'll be able, the telescope is so strong that he'll be able to see um, all the way through to all of the little houses that are on the surface of the moon. And it's so powerful nice. that he'll be able to look into the window of those houses Ooh, and, getting s- creepy. and spy on all of the moon ladies there who are getting, <laughs> who are undressing and getting ready for bed.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh. <laughs> Of course, that's where you got to go when you talk about aliens on the moon. Exactly. You have to go straight to the naked moon ladies.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> Buona Fede is like, yeah, give me some of that sweet action. <laughs> so he looks through his telescope and Ecliptico and and I've seen it done a couple of different ways because there, there are videos of, of different productions on YouTube. Ecliptico and his students sort of do like caricatures and sometimes they do like shadow puppets where um they're trying to um make it look like he's seeing all the way through the moon and buona is like this is awesome
0: (laughs) some (laughs) impressive uh shadow puppets exactly exactly
1: and then he goes on to describe what he thinks he's seen um he says he saw a very beautiful girl a young girl of course, caressing an old man. Oh,
0: but that he, should give him hope, right? Because
1: totally, he saw see that how he wants to see. He says he also saw a husband ready to punish his wife for her infidelity, and a man who completely dominates his female lover. We're gonna skip past that one and pretend that's not what I think it is. um Cool, cool. Right, Bonafede is like. I mean, not cool. Right. Good to skip. Bonafede is like. Dope, thank you. Here's some money for letting me use your telescope. And then he leaves. So everyone else goes, and Eclictico is alone in his tower. Um, and he sings his little sings himself an aria where he muses that it's not really the man's money that he wants. What he wants is to wed the Buenafida's daughter, Clarice.
0: Oh
1: um, and then a noble man named Ernesto comes in and he's in love with Clarissa's sister, Flaminia. And then Ernesto's servant comes in, whose name is Checo, who is the baritone. He is in love with Buonaferte's servant, who is named Lisetta. So they're all okay. there, so we got three guys who were in love with these three girls, and the three girls love them in turn. So these are the three couples. That's okay. That's neat. That's neat. Um, so they're all sitting there commiserating because Bonafede Fede um, intends to marry the sisters off to rich suitors. And he kind of, Lizetta is sort of like the Despina type character. And since she's his servant, he wants to, you know, keep her for himself. Uh. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Right. So this is where the situation is. And eclictico assures Ernesto and Checo that with a little money, all their difficulties will be solved. And then we take a, a total pause in the action for Ernesto, um, who is a countertenor, sometimes sung by um, a mezzo, a countertenor slash nice. castrato, sings this serious aria all about how Flaminia's eyes are dope. And he can't wait for the moment where the two of them can you know, spend their lives together totally stalling Aww. the action <laughs> but it's like you know the moment but you
0: needed to toss an aria in there the
1: moment when well, the especially- star singer gets to sing an
2: aria yeah nice especially given like the original guy would have been a castrato so it would have been very exciting exactly showstopper to hear, him, hear him
1: sing so that happens basically curtain there's a couple of other like little dialogues um and then we switch to Buona Fede's house.
0: Oh, Curtain rises..: rises. It fancy?
1: It's fancy. Curtain nice. rises on the sisters, Clarice and Flaminia, and they dream of escaping their father in another very long aria, which might be why this isn't done that often. <laughs> <laughs> Flaminia recognizes that even um, if reason dominates the soul, when love intervenes, it takes control of everything and nothing else matters. Ah, Buona Fede enters, and he starts making fun of his, of his daughter. Um, for... <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Of his eldest daughter. I don't know why my raise... response is to laugh. Like, this is terrible. <laughs> he starts making fun of her because he's just like, you're being so fucking stubborn. Why will you not just, like, marry whatever rich guy I pick out for you? Um, mm-hmm. And she says that she will find a husband for herself um, because he is not capable of providing one for her. And so everyone fights, and then Buonafede invites Lisetta to share the wonders he has seen through the telescope in an attempt to sort of uh, seduce her. Oh, oh no.
0: gotcha. He's and, literally inviting her to go see the telescope.
1: Right. Well Yes. Right. <laughs> so they'll both like watch ladies undress together and it will be gotcha. a charged oh, and erotic I, for environment. A second,
0: <laughs> I, for a second I thought you were saying that like he's like let me show you these cool activities that I saw in the telescope that we can do together.
1: I mean, also, but he's actually that could be saying, a thing.
0: "Come check out this telescope."
1: Right. And... No
0: innuendo there. Wink, wink. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that.
1: <laughs> and she is, you know, interested in getting some of his money. Um. So, Lizetta is like, "Yes, totally, of course. Um, I love you. I'm like." Faithful to you, and I am virtuous, um, which is all, of course, a lie. Mm-hmm. And then Eclitico knocks on the door and tells Bonafede that, all right, he tells him that the Emperor of the Moon, he was talking to him, um, and he has as you do, as you do, maybe through the telescope, through the telescope, or like you know, moon communication, um, <laughs>
0: moon sign language, moon sign language.
1: <laughs> The Emperor of the Moon has been like, I want to invite you and Bonafede to my court. Nice. And uh, Ecliptico tells him, if you drink this magical moon elixir that I have, it will transport you to the moon.
0: Let me guess: moon elixir is booze.
1: It's kind of like a like a sedative.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> even better.
1: Um and Bonafide is like that great that's great and Clitico is like awesome. I'm going to drink half of it and you take the other half. Let's go to the moon. So Ecliptico pretends to drink half of it, gives the rest to which is basically all of it to Bonafede, who um drinks it and then um passes out.
0: This opera sounds like it w- could have the potential to get super trippy.
1: Yeah, exactly. But well, also funny. So he's yeah. he's passed out. Um, and Clarice and Lisetta they come in and they're like, oh shit, he's dead. Um, (laughs) but then, but then they're like, yeah. And then they're like, well, we'll get a lot of money.
0: Right. Now that he's dead.
1: Our inheritance is like going to be dope. And then the curtain falls. (laughs) Nice. Act two. Act two. Act two. So we're in. Wow. A a lot happens in act one. uh, It's a jam packed action i was gonna say
0: this this thing just like moves along
1: well i'm also describing it very there are a lot of like let's pause for beautiful beautiful arias and character reflection moments yeah but it's still
0: i mean assuming the first act is what like a little over an hour still a lot of things happen
1: that's true you are correct Mm -hmm. so curtain rises in act two Mm -hmm. and we are in ecliptico's garden and it's at night and everyone's like decorated it and dressed it up. So when Bonafede wakes up, he'll think that he has arrived. Yeah, he's gonna think they're moon people. He's gonna think that. <laughs> well, yeah, everyone's dressed up. He's gonna think they're moon people. He made it to the moon. Love that. Um, so Eclitico is there with Ernesto, and um, they've sort of dragged Bonafede into the garden. And he wakes up, and they're like, "We're here. We did it. We're on the moon." <laughs> Then there is, of course, another moment that totally stops the action. There is the ballet.
0: <laughs> ooh, moon ballet.
1: <laughs> there is the, the moon ballet.
0: Did they know about low gravity back in seventeen seventy-seven?
1: I truly doubt it. Yeah. When did Newton? Because Nelson... now you
0: think, now you think moon ballet, and you're like, ooh, I bet they're going to do a bunch of suspended lifts and things like people are floating around. But back then, they probably were just like, ah. Uh, just same people, but less greenery mm-hmm. on their planet.
2: They also right. didn't know about the moonwalk, so.
0: <laughs> Good one, Naomi. Boom. Good one.
1: <laughs> so there's a ballet it's a pun
0: after my own heart.
1: <laughs> Everybody watches it. Ooh, it's so lovely. Great. I then tells Bonafede that isn't this great? Your daughters are going to join us along um, with your servant Lisetta. It says, according to the lunar custom, the women, the women will be very subdued and very meek because moon women know their place, right?
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so then Checo, Ernesto's servant, appears, and he is dressed and disguised as the emperor of the moon. That's um, amazing. He gets such a moment because he's a servant. He gets such a moment. He's the emperor of the moon, and Ernesto is somehow dressed up as... Um, the star, Hesperus. Okay. Oh. So Bonafede is sitting there and he's like, you know, this is great.
0: <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> this is
1: great. And then they have another ballet.
0: <laughs> yeah, what isn't great about that? This is a night where he's Ooh. like doing a little drugs. He's watching some ballet. He thinks
1: What's he's on the What's not to like moon? about that? What's not to like?
0: He thinks he's about to... Get some from some moon ladies. Mm-hmm.
1: So Lisetta then answers and he, uh, she enters, excuse me. Um, and Buona Fede sees her and tries to court her, but Checo, as the emperor of the moon, intercedes and he's like, No, I picked this woman to be my empress. Nice. Ooh, and of what? course, they didn't tell Lisetta 100% what was going on to begin with. So <laughs> she's kind of like, What the fuck? <laughs> Um, and then the daughters arrive uh, and they sort of pay homage to the emperor and they have this ridiculous kind of like religious ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, and Flaminia runs off with her dude Ernesto and Clarice runs off with aclitico, and Checo is there and he's preparing the crown um, to crown Lisetta as Empress of the Moon. So this whole masquerade thing, a lot of people, you know, like a Mozart opera. There are a lot of people running around saying different things. It's the, it's the big grand finale of, of Act Two kind of thing. Um, so in all of the confusion of this masquerade, Buona Fede is somehow tricked into consenting to all of the marriages. Nice. Right. And, he, and I'm sure
0: like signing legal documents.
1: Signing off legal documents um, and consenting <laughs> to all three marriages. And he doesn't realize until the curtain is going down and basically everyone's married legally that um it's too late and he can't do anything about it Love curtain it.
0: that's great is that end of opera
1: there's um a little act three kind of epilogue
0: Dan, i was gonna say that would be you could end it there like i tricked you now we're all married da-da,
1: Done. Da-da, da-da. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so then what happens in act three He's super pissed.
1: Well, uh, in Act Three, they're all in Eclitico's house, um, and everybody's back in their normal clothes, and they've locked Buona Fede in his house. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "We'll let you out if you um, agree to forgive your daughters for the deception and you give them their dowries."
0: Nice. But she nice. was
1: withholding, um, and so finally, he yields. Um, and then the, swi- the scene switches to um, a starlit night, the full moon in the background. And Clarice and Eclitico sing of their love, and Buona Fede at last has a change of heart, and he repents on his previous strictness, and there is general rejoicing. Nice. And that's, and that's how it ends.
0: Wow. I'm, I know this is definitely the wrong time period, But for some reason, when you're describing this uh, starlit night and like a couple singing to each other, I just think of the end of Johnny Skeeky, you know, all of that. Very schmaltzy. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But I imagine this opera sounds a little bit different.
1: It does sound a little bit different.
2: Right. It kind of sounds like a hurrah, hurrah, everything's great.
1: Everyone's yes. happy again. Ta-da. <laughs> We're going to like nice. cadence in C major or something. Right. Now, mm, can you just gotta imagine- love a cadence
0: in C major.
2: Can you just imagine that it's your wedding day and this is the gift that somebody gives you, a performance of this opera?
0: Wait, is that what actually happened?
2: Yes. It was written for the wedding <laughs> of one of the Esterhazy princes, I'm pretty sure.
0: Oh man. I mean I would be pretty happy if somebody presented a new opera composition to me for my birthday that I mean that's a pretty intense gift. Although the subject matter <laughs> would have me puzzling. I just think like I think it was pretty
1: what? like well known the story since it's mm-hmm. been set a couple of different ways and so I'm sure oh. it was just like this funny everybody thing that everybody knows it, this story everybody knows that it. it's funny that's fair yeah but yeah when you have yeah, got you're great. like so then paying a composer they, to like live on your estate and just write shit for you it's a pretty common right? occurrence where you're like hey i want you know an opera for my wedding a, a symphony for my you know bar mitzvah that kind of stuff <laughs>
0: can you imagine like in the middle of no. a <laughs> modern day wedding like a whole opera being performed
2: well, I feel but, like this. It it, ha- it would have to be at like a wedding that lasts multiple days, right? Yeah. Oh, like the great. the only thing I can think of that's like close to that today is like Indian weddings or Persian weddings, where like traditionally they go on for like they're like a six or seven or eight day long
1: festivity. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they're multiple yeah. days. Yeah, it's a big. Oh, it's I would a big love party. to go
0: to a wedding like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it it must have been like
2: that where it's like the whole week is like dedicated to wedding festivities. And this is like one of the entertainments one night. That would be
0: awesome. Although I will say that for the weddings that I've been involved in, that by the time you get to like basically three days of like, you know, because if it's a wedding that say you're in the wedding, you have like the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner the day before, Usually, Mm -hmm. you know, you go out after the rehearsal dinner, and Mm -hmm. then you have the whole day of the wedding, and then Mm -hmm. now I feel like a lot of people the day after the wedding will have like a brunch or something, like some kind of gathering for out-of-town guests, Mm -hmm. so it becomes like a three-day thing, and at the end of those three days, one, if I'm talking about myself, is generally exhausted.
2: Oh, yeah, I can imagine that a week-long wedding is like a a very exhausting though happy and fun experience right yeah <laughs> for people well, involved
0: if it's going to be a week long you could have a couple of uh, a couple of opera performances that's
2: true that
0: is and true. i would say if i was having a week-long wedding i would definitely program an opera performance in the middle of that would you really well i would like schedule a time where like hey as part of this week-long celebration the cool people of us are gonna go see this opera that's also playing during this time period, <laughs> and then I mean, you, my family you would. That
2: now, but then I think about like the conferences that I've been to, where you go to the opera in the evening, mm-hmm. and like it's a full day. It's like a full day of conferencing and then opera in the evening. Then you got to get up right. the next day for another full day of conferencing. It's exhausting. It is a enjoyable, lot. but it's it's exhausting.
0: That's true. Yeah. That's funny. I'm just picturing it now. Like my family would begrudgingly go because they like <laughs> want to be supportive, but they're not really into opera. But
1: you know, it's your wedding.
0: Like when right. I used to work, when I used to work at the Met Guild, and they're like, I, I mean, it's the Met. I guess we should <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should go. But and then you see like this big, fantastic performance. They're like, it was nice.
2: Yep. Yeah. So
0: wasted. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Not going to go down that rabbit hole.
1: Well, maybe this will inspire people. Actually, no, I'm not even going to... Never mind.
0: <laughs> Ooh, you know what? I do want to know. If you are listening to this podcast and you involved opera in your wedding, please, please let us know.
2: But we're talking like a full-on performance, not just excerpts, not just like arias during the ceremony.
0: No, like I wanted to hear full it all. On. I well, wanted to hear you, it
1: Because you... Involved opera in your wedding, Kyle?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. There was mm-hmm. a flower duet. I'm a I'm a basic bitch. There was a flower <laughs> duet, and there was also Ooh. a piano solo, piano solo version of Que Geli Da Manina" from Bohem, and it was delightful.
1: Aww, you know what so it should so have cute. been? What? You no, know, it should have been concerning habits.
0: Right. That's what I really wanted it to be as I'm so thankful that you remember. <laughs> but I got vetoed, so my second choice was K <laughs> da Manina, which ended up being very nice. But yeah, if you involved opera in your wedding, we definitely want to hear about it. So yeah. tell us about it. Send us pictures on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Hit us up at info at operaafterdark.com. We definitely want to see that. I know, I mean, I don't know the specifics, but I, I imagine, Naomi, you included plenty of opera in your own wedding.
2: I had a lot of music generally. Um, I did not have any opera excerpts in the ceremony, but there was certainly some in like the like cocktail hour. There was a string quartet that played and they played a bunch of different stuff. And I had like all of the tables were named after composers and I spent a long year collecting composer busts from thrift stores and ebay that i then spray painted all the same color and like every table had the correct bust or was supposed to have the correct bust like on the table as part of the decoration
0: yeah i definitely stole that from you
2: (laughs) gramophones on some of the tables for the centerpieces with like a horn and the flowers were like coming out of the gramophone horn it was a lot of musical themed things but it was not a lot of like overt this is opera like in your face kind of thing yeah. right but yeah
0: what do you mean when is opera ever in your face <laughs> very big <laughs> opera, and showy. Is,
2: opera is a lot for some people so yeah yeah well
0: i certainly would love to see the world of the moon sometime i don't know when it's ever going to be performed near me but if it is you can bet I'll be there.
1: Yeah, I think it lends itself to extremely interesting directorial choices. <laughs> I think it would, I think it would be so fun for like an
2: opera diploma program to do this opera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be it would be hilarious. It would be a good time.
0: Yeah. Well, if any of our listeners know about a performance coming up, let us know. We'd love to see it. Well, hopefully, you enjoyed hearing all about Il Mondo della Luna. And thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next week for another episode of Opera After Dark. How
2: could you not enjoy such a fantastic opera?
0: Right. How could it's you fun. not? If you didn't, then never listen again.
2: <laughs> no. Exactly. No, it's not for everyone. But <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding.
0: Yeah. No, definitely listen to us. We'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, I'm Kyle.
1: I'm Naomi. And I'm Elspeth.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Bye. Bye. Felicity il you're better than si can